Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. Sure Top Roofing presents the Carolina Contractor with your host, Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF Roofing, shingles and materials. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply and Garner, a roofing supplier with a different approach. And welcome to another episode of the Carolina Contractor Show. I'm Eric Smith, and with us, our lovely and talented host, and also the backup quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, now that Cam <laughs> Newton has been shut down for the season, it's... Donnie Blanchard. How you doing, Donnie? Hey, doing great. A little chilly today. How are you? You're working out that arm? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, I don't know that I'll get a chance to see the field, but you know, hopefully they see something in me that may get me out there, get a few reps in. Well, we'll stick to what you know best, and that's houses. Inside, outside, it's what the Carolina Contractor Show is all about. We've got a website, too, thecarolinacontractor.com. You can see topics we've talked about in the past. Last week, we talked about modular versus stick-built houses, public adjusters, driveway resurfacing, past shows you can also catch on there. And can people download the show, Donnie? You can download the show, yes, sir. The uh, the show should be available on the website, thecarolinacontractor.com, but if it's easier for you to go through your podcast platform, that's another avenue. Super. The subject we got coming up in a little bit is going to be about safe rooms. Yep. Sounds very interesting. It is. Yeah, we'll dive into that. I wanted to share some news that was on the front burner this week, and um, the Licensing Board for General Contractors recently made an announcement that will affect everybody in my world. Starting in 2020, the continuing education requirements for GCs will be put into place. They project that the classes will begin as early as May 2020, and these are going to be required for a 2021 license renewal. So now all we have to do is, depending on the type of license you have, send in a license renewal form. Whether your license is limited, intermediate, or unlimited, that requires different financial statements. Of course, unlimited requires an accountant, but the unlimited just requires you to show $17,000 in working capital and just not too tough to attain and renew your license, but that's all going to change. The licensing board's going to require an eight-hour course, and that's going to include a mandatory two hours that's produced by the board. So this will be a uniform course by the uh, licensing board that everybody will have to take, and then the remaining six hours will be elective courses. So that means they'll be provided by outside sources, and uh, that'll be submitted to the board, and all those eight hours will be required every year from here on out to maintain your contractor license. Being that there are a lot of folks who've been in our industry for 40 or 50 years, this may be outside of their comfort zone, but I think it's going to be a, a good thing all in all. And they're going to try to make it attainable for folks so it's not something that you show up for and you have to pass a test. So Ooh, if you keep in mind, right, me too, that if you keep in mind, it's just your time. So you have to provide your time. But all in all, you know, code enforcement officials can't teach every builder everything. And we preach about education on the show all the time. And I just think it's going to be a good way for a uniform education on what we do for a living to be put out there and required across the board. So there's going to be some uniformity in our industry, and uh, hopefully it doesn't run anybody out of the business, but there are a lot of people with inactive licenses who have a someone in their office renew their license every year, and they just don't lift a finger mm. to maintain that. I think this will all in all cut down on the number of licenses, especially those, like I mentioned, who are inactive. And today's subject on the Carolina Contractor Show I said earlier, Donnie, that it's a safe room. Right. I had a gentleman approach me about designing a safe room for his house. And so uh, I'm pretty proficient in AutoCAD. I don't draw my own blueprints anymore just because time doesn't allow that. But 
When he approached me with this, I thought, what a neat project. This kind of harnesses the kid in me, and it's like building a fort for grown-ups kind of approach that we're taking here. So Minecraft um, for adults. Yeah. So the first thing I did is, is do some research. Who wrote the book on this? And it turns out there is a Bible. I called it the Shelter Bible uh, for folks who want to build a storm shelter or a safe room. And this is put out by FEMA, which makes perfect sense. I just never knew this was a thing. So I dove into this, and the link yields about a 264-page book. And I'll have to admit that I haven't made it all the way through, but I'll describe how this book is broken down. They have four chapters, and each chapter goes a little further in depth, depending on what you'd like to be protected from. So chapter one, basically, it presents design considerations. So what are you going for? What do you need to consider when you start your initial design? And uh, that feeds into potential threats. Uh, I'll go through the list, but it says the levels of protection, uh, the shelter types, the siding, the occupancy duration, human factor criteria for shelters like square footages per shelter occupant, proper ventilation is a big deal, distance and travel time and accessibility. So if you need to access that room, how quick can you do it? Uh, special needs, lighting, emergency power, uh, route marking and wayfinding, and that would be more in a commercial application, but signage, evacuation considerations, and basically the key operating zones within that safe room. So this is not a man cave? No. (laughs) I guess it could be a hybrid man cave safe (laughs) room, but I don't know how that's going to fly with the wife. Or a shed. Yeah, right, right. In Chapter 2, they start to migrate towards more of a commercial application. So they discuss structural design criteria for a blast and impact resistance, which we don't take into consideration because it doesn't happen often. But when it does happen, you say, hey, what should we have done to prevent this? Another thing that they touch on are structural systems, building envelope requirements for shelters. Uh, They analyze and they basically provide protective design measures for the defined building types And all that's provided in Chapter 2. Chapter 3 starts to get a little more in-depth on what we should do in an extreme situation such as a terrorist attack. And I know that's a touchy subject, but this is definitely a real thing. And with the way technology advances, I just think that this is a wise thing for folks in a commercial building application to at least consider. At least consider. Mm -hmm. Uh, They basically talk about how to add chemical, biological, radiological protection capabilities to a shelter or a safe room. Uh, they discuss the air filtration associated with that, uh, safe room criteria, design requirements, and operating and maintenance for those, and uh, commissioning and training required to operate a shelter. So in a commercial application, you can imagine there's going to be a lot more in-depth. The range of people who will use that room will be pretty wide as well. So you may have somebody working in an office building during the day and a different person working in that same job at night. So everyone would need to be educated on how to use this. They wrap up in Chapter 4 by discussing emergency management considerations. They talk about the federal response team that come to your aid in an event like this, uh, emergency response and mass care, which, you know, if you're just doing this in your house, maybe that doesn't apply, but it's still a very interesting read. Uh, Community shelters, how the operation plans for those go, descriptions of the responsibilities of the shelter team and members, and they basically have thought of each and every little detail that could happen from an emergency event arising, and that could be from a tornado to a terrorist attack. So, all these are, are just really good reads, and they have pie charts and diagrams that are just very useful and informative. And, gosh, I only made it through about the first 100 pages, and there were so many moments where I thought I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So those are those are always good reads. Um, I want to drop a side note that I'm not going to go too far in depth on this, but we're going to start plugging in intermediate podcasts on you know iTunes, Google, and iHeartMedia. So we'll try to cover some of these subjects a little more in depth. But for our 30-minute window on the show today, I just thought I would explain the chapter breakdown. Yeah, and I think we need to understand, even though we're talking about something you're taking on, a project for a safe room, what you just read from is a FEMA 
um, government organization, yes. they go all the way because there's many government buildings that are essential to be running and the people inside them to be safe to do things. So they're going to go to the extreme of what you can do. But for what we're talking about today on the Carolina Contractor Show is someone who kind of wants a shelter room, a security room, and how you can maybe scale down those needs for your house if you want one. Right. Chapter 1 covers just about everything for a residential application. So if you don't have time to burn through the whole 264 pages, and who does, uh, I think Chapter 1 is a good starting point. I just kind of picked it up and couldn't put it down. So uh, it's a good read. I'll put a link on the website that takes you to the FEMA site. Let's start at somebody's property, Donnie. We're going to scale this down a little Mm -hmm. bit. Where would be the starting point maybe to put a room like this? Well, if you have a basement, of course, a basement is ideal because it has a slab foundation in most cases. And when we get into how we're going to design one of these for the average residential application, you know, a basement just provides a good starting point. A garage is actually another good one that people don't think about. Or maybe your garage is too small to fit in there. And uh, maybe your garage is too small to sacrifice an eight by eight space. So in this case, a lot of folks opt for like a freestanding shed or they dig an underground bunker. And, you know, that's a bit extreme and, and evasive for the yard. And, you know, you may be in the doghouse or you may end up having to sleep in that bunker when it's all said and done if you don't get that yard fixed for the <laughs> wife. But anyway, uh, and on that note, I have a good friend who actually just purchased a, a freestanding what he calls a safe shed. And it was about $8,000 for an 8 by 10 And it has concrete walls, uh, concrete roof, concrete base. and can withstand, you know, a, a tornado, a hurricane, and and it's just a, it's a very plain thing. But they build these with rebar and all the reinforcing material, and uh, and and supposedly they can withstand a really strong storm and be the last thing standing. But if you want to check those out, I believe the website is safesheds.com, and that's in the instance where you just don't have room in the house for something like this. But back to the gentleman we're working for, we're actually going to build his in on his first floor in a spare bedroom. So what happened is all of his children moved out of the house. He had three extra bedrooms and he thought, what am I going to do with these bedrooms? And uh, didn't really have a, a nice, secure place for his guns or his food storage. And these were just kind of packed in the garage and places where maybe the temperature wasn't very conducive for storage. But uh, we found a room that's right next to their master bedroom, and uh, that's what we're going to work on. And the beauty of this is that it was on a first floor. So one of the main things you need to consider when you're designing these is how you're going to anchor this into the foundation. And if it doesn't have a foundation under it, how do you transfer that load down? So this being a first floor application, and he has a decent crawl space, which, which is a saving grace there, we're able to actually take out the floor system in this room and get straight down to the crawl space where we're going to be able to retrofit a foundation for the the new walls that we're going to put in here and we're actually going to have to take a window out which will be you know siding and window on the outside and it sounds like major surgery but it is not and we're going to be able to back a concrete truck right up there throw the concrete chute through the window and <laughs> pour, the pour, pour the new foundation yes sir and so uh the reason that's important is because a lot of the anchors or tie rods that you're going to anchor the the new walls down to need to be embedded in that concrete so similar to a j-bolt on a foundation wall that anchors the seal plate down that's kind of what we're going for now this is a room then the way you're describing it having a, a dedicated foundation and tying it down, God forbid, but the house could basically be obliterated, say a tornado, and the chances are this room would survive it. That's it. Our two goals were to give this thing our, its own foundation and for it to be self-reinforced. So say in the event of a hurricane, you have this 100-year-old oak tree that falls across your house. 
it's all about load transfer in the engineering world. So what we did is basically built a wall uh, with the cavities, and then we built another wall on the inside of that. And that wall is made up of a lot of diagonal bracing. So if something falls on the top of this room, that load transfers down the wall, down to the foundation, and basically leaves your open cavity unharmed in the middle of, of all those loads. But the way we're achieving that is a lot of hangers, a lot of straps. So these hurricane ties that you see, we basically are using a much bigger version, and it's totally overkill, but in the event that something extreme should happen, then it's uh, it's really cheap insurance. It's not uh, made for a, an average event. Exactly. And we're also going to sandwich some 14-gauge steel all the way around, and uh, it never hurts to have a bulletproof room, too. So we're, we're throwing that in there. And it is a safety room. That's it. And so um, the owner really liked the idea of, uh, of it being bulletproof. Uh, one of the things that is pretty costly with this is the door. We have a door on order that has three bolts, which you can go much more extreme than three bolts, but that was the most affordable thing in the price point that made sense. And, of course, that door is bulletproof. It has a great fire rating, but it is expensive. Does it have one of those little windows, like like a speakeasy? No, no okay, one does. That'd be kind of cool. But <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that about that. That would have been an access point, right. so bad idea. We're wiring part. it for cameras, and, and so basically there will be a monitor inside the room that will show you what's going on outside the house and outside the room as well. Um, so it's basically just like you are pre-wiring a house before the insulation and sheetrock go in there. It's just a little bit of prep. He basically will be self-sufficient with everything from electricity to food to water and even a bathroom. And I think if we go back, Donnie, to this client of yours that wants to have this safety room put in place – what really stuck out to me is his location is great next to the bedroom. It's somewhere when you think about maybe you're a single parent, maybe you live out in the country. It's mm-hmm. nighttime. You're in your bedroom at night. You hear a noise. You hear someone trying to break in. You know, I only have to take two steps and I'm in a safety room. I have my communications. I have everything I can call for help. So a safety room, maybe a security room is a good example. Yep. It's just a, a place to go that you will be safe, secure, and whatever the threat is, whether it's weather or whether it's man, yep. you've got a place to go. Funny you worded it that way. When when this gentleman and I sealed the deal and, and agreed to, to move forward with this project, you know, safety, security, and stormproof were the three things that we were going for. Mm, and okay. when I put this thing on paper to estimate it, you know, it's not as expensive as you think. It may be in that ten to fifteen thousand dollar range, depending on what you're going for, the size you need, and whether or not you're going to do things like put a bathroom in there. But if you think about a toilet supply, you just have a drain and basically a, a supply to that toilet. And uh, I don't guess you need a curtain or anything around there, but <laughs> maybe not. a curtain's a cheap option. So You're going to be close friends with whoever else is in that room. <laughs> this is the Carolina Contractor Show brought to you by GAF and Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply. Coming up next, we're going to do questions from listeners. Go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Click on the little button there, and you can submit your question And that's exactly what we're going to do next. Answer some questions, so stick around. We'll be back with more of the Carolina Contractor presented by SureTop Roofing. Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. Welcome back to the Carolina Contractor with your host, Donnie Blanchard. Welcome back to the favorite part of the show for me because I don't do the thinking. I just have to ask Donnie questions. It's a Carolina Contractor show. If you have a question for Donnie, doesn't matter what part of your house, inside, outside, top, bottom, uh, roof service is a specialty, obviously. But if you got a question about something else regarding your abode, 
just go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com, click on the little button, submit your question. And this time of year, as cold weather moves in, HVAC units, we get a lot of questions for that, and that's what our first question is today. Hey, before we dive in there, um, yeah. I have a neat story. My father-in-law, who my best buddy, he uh, just bought a house down in Oriental last year. So the year after he buys it, of course, it floods, and he basically starts all over. It's poorly insulated. It is a cinder block house, which it's built like a fort. Just that doesn't make any difference with the insulation, but they actually lost their heat in one of these cold nights this week, and uh, he's super ingenuitive, which if that would have been me and I had another house, I'd have just hightailed mm-hmm. it to the other place or slept in the car. But he basically started his dryer, which, disclaimer here, it was an electric dryer. You can't do this with a gas dryer, but started the dryer and just ran the dryer with the hose on the back for the ventilation unplugged. So he plugged the hole going through the wall and let the dryer run in his place and you know, it upped the, the temperature enough to where they could stay there and be comfortable. But And if oh, you put in a static cling sheet, it would smell like mountain fresh or something. It smell great <laughs> on top of that. That's exactly right. That's similar to, I think you mentioned one time, heating up a room with an open oven. So just a nice little power outage hack yeah. there. Question number one, we are about to have our HVAC replaced. How important is SEER rating? And for people who don't know, that's S-E-E-R, SEER rating. Right. The SEER rating is important, but now that the electrical codes have changed, the SEER rating on an affordable unit will usually suffice. The one thing that's more important than anything is the amount of insulation that you have. So we've done previous shows on how to check for the appropriate amount of insulation. But if you don't have adequate insulation under your house or over, you know, that SEER rating is not going to give you the rating that it, it says right there on the package because it just can't operate it at a, an efficiency to, to give you that. So the one thing I recommend that you should spend extra money on is say you have a larger house, you can do a multi-stage unit and you can actually zone your house. So mm-hmm. a zoning board usually costs in the neighborhood of $2,000, which is less than you'll pay for that super high efficiency SEER rating. And for instance, we have our house zoned into the master suite. We have a suite for the two girls in their bathroom. And then my son is on the southwest side of the house. So in the summer, of course, he gets the most of the uh, hot low sun, and uh, he has his own zone to control the temperature fluctuations there. The other thing with the multi-stage, uh, to give you an example, it's kind of like a car that is six cylinders when you need it, and it ups to uh, eight cylinders when you really need the power. Uh, oh, I want that car. Yeah. Similar situation is heating and air units are designed for the most extreme, so the hottest of the the hot months and the coldest of the cold months is what it's designed to handle. Well, you have the moderate months like spring and fall, and say you have a three-ton system. Well, you don't need three tons all the time. So we have the multi-stage unit at our personal house as well, and you can hear the first stage crank up, and if that doesn't do the trick, you'll hear it change gears, so to speak, and go into the next stage. So basically going from a six-cylinder to an eight-cylinder when you need it. But uh, other than that, our power bills are ridiculously cheap because most of the year it only requires one ton at a time. So the money you'll spend on that multi-stage and zoning will be just about the same thing as you'll spend on that really high-efficiency SEER rating. But again, the first thing I said is make sure your house is well insulated before you do any of that. All right, question number two to the Carolina contractor. We have water dripping down our vent from the gas water here. We recently replaced our roof. It was not Suretop roofing, so we thought it was a leak. However, we see the water even when it's not raining. Any idea? Something about this uh, roofer is yeah, setting you, off an alarm. You always love to, to hear when folks say, hey, you didn't do our roof, but we need you to come fix it, and that's okay. But uh, this particular roofer, they said, was a storm chaser, so they called the guy back out, and, of course, he didn't come out. He was from another state, but uh, this is just a – a bad decision there, but uh, sure top to the rescue. So here mm-hmm. we go. Da, 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 da. <laughs> we uh, we came in there. I, 
I went to this guy's house just to lay eyes on the problem, and uh, it was twofold. So this was a gas water heater. It's important to mention that. And what was happening is he was getting condensation. It wasn't a leak from the outside. But when the roofer actually put the new shingles around the penetration, which is a vent up top, that, that vent for HVAC has a collar. It has the actual vent itself and a cap. So there's several components that have to jive to keep that thing waterproof. Well, what he had done is this is a B vent. So a B vent is a double wall. Anything that comes out of a uh, a gas appliance is going to need to be double walled to keep that heat transfer to a minimum. So he basically shook the pipe loose on the inside. So it was actually a joint underneath the roof line that had come loose and the con- condensation that was forming as a result of the uh, exposure to the attic there w- was dripping down on days when he would run that. But So it still had something to do with the roofer, but it wasn't a leak, and uh, we actually just put it back together by hand, and it was an easy fix. Super. Yep. Question number three for the Carolina contractor. There is a draft around our windows. Can that be fixed? So we've touched on this in several different ways, and uh, the answer is yes. The way that you find the fix is probably the first challenge. Um, we harp on thermal imaging cameras, and they're kind of like big screen TVs. They used to, as we like to say in the biz, a tick, a tick, T I C. So these things used to be in the neighborhood of two to four grand for a decent one, and now they've got them that will plug into your iPhone. So um, you can go invest in a thermal imaging camera, buy one online, and I'd say you can get one that's pretty reliable for under a hundred dollars. But if you just need something to check it out, you know, over the weekend, and you don't want to wait. Uh, or you don't want to spend the money on a thermal imaging camera, you can just take a candle. This will work better on a day when there's more wind mm-hmm. than not outside, but you can walk around with a candle and just hold the candle by your window casings or your door casings, and a lot of times that will tell you if you have a draft. We've even mentioned that you can get a draft through your outlets, and that doesn't sound mm-hmm. right, but it definitely is. When when the pressure of the wind is pushing on the outside of your house constantly, you know that causes pressure, and that pressure is forcing that cold air into your house any way it can find. So a lot of times around the doors and windows, when the original contractor put these in, they didn't do the insulation package like we do today with the spray foam or put bats or backer rods or just anything that would provide a weather stripping property around that window or door. Um, a really a little more evasive, but a really good fix is, you know, cut the caulk beads all the way around all of your your casing around doors and windows. And if it's one of those things where you're not very handy, just try to do one room at a time. But when you take these off, be very careful because oftentimes you can just install these things back with minimal effort. But we recommend getting a product that's a low expansion spray foam like the blue can of gray stuff they sell at Lowe's and Home Depot. And you can actually spray foam around all of your windows and doors and just put that casing right back. A few tubes of caulk. Uh, also worth mentioning, make sure you get paintable caulk. Mm-hmm. But a few tubes of caulk and a paintbrush and you're back in business. But this is one of those things that... You do, number one, for comfort. Your room's going to be that much more comfortable, but you also do this for efficiency. This is going to save you big money on your bills if you can pull this off. I'll close this out by saying at a bare minimum, if you don't have window caulking around the windows, just a tube of caulk and caulking the gaps around the casing, you know, could could get you down the road just a bit. Uh, last question. We're going to try to burn through some of this, but I thought this was a very interesting question. What are the differences between a heat pump, which I have, and a gas pack? Right. Uh, this is the nuts and bolts of the HVAC world. So basically, uh, you have two options. You can do a uh, electric heat source or a gas heat source. Mm-hmm. Now, gas heat sources have been around for a lot longer. 
uh, the gas heat source, if you have, a say, a church sanctuary, may be a better fit. And they do make something now called a dual fuel. So it's actually gas when it kicks on. It'll heat the room up really fast. And as soon as it doesn't need anything but maintenance, it'll switch over to an electrical oh, heat. Cool. So, yeah, that, that's uh, that's good in, say, a big sanctuary room where it's got 20-foot ceilings and just a, a large seating capacity. That works well. But I'm a big proponent of all electrical because things are so efficient with heat pumps these days. Uh, by the way, that's the lingo. Heat pump is the electric gas pack, of course, is the gas heat. But um, the reason I'm a fan of the heat pump is because there's no combustion, so there's nothing that could ignite, so to speak, in your house. And that just gives me comfort and peace of mind because I don't have to worry about an explosion. Uh, the heat pumps, all in all, are more efficient, mm-hmm. uh, especially since electrical electric power is cheaper than gas. Uh, total side note there is if you live in the country where we are, uh, propane is the only option. So natural gas doesn't run underground where we are, and propane is Quite a bit more expensive than both electrical and natural gas. I completely agree with that, boy. Thanks, Hank. Um, <laughs> he, uh, Did so, I throw you off, son? You, threw, back you your, threw me a little off. Go back to your answer, boy. <laughs> I made some notes on some of the pros and the cons, and, of course, we touched on efficiency. Of course, it's cheaper to operate the electrical. Installation of a heat pump usually costs a lot less than a furnace. Uh, those furnaces, number one, require ventilation. So if you put a gas pack in there or retrofit a gas pack, you've got to figure out a way to get that vented out of the roof. So it can't be one of these things where you can, say, like a bath fan, you can drop it out of the soffit. It just won't work like that because there's too much heat involved. Quietness is a thing to take into consideration. These heat pumps run a lot quieter than the gas packs do. And a neat trick that we did on our house is we actually put the filter down in the basement right on the air handler. And what that does is where you would normally pull a grill out and replace your filters, Mm -hmm. there's no filter there. So if you've ever been in a house where, say, you have a dirty filter, it whistles. And so basically ours is is virtually silent because our filter is right there on the air handler. And it's a little tougher to get to uh, when we want to change these out, but it's well worth it to not have a whistling sound every time your HVAC comes on. Plus you have a sun to change it, so who cares how hard it is. Yeah, just for the next few years anyway. Right, right. So safety, you know, no risk of carbon monoxide with electric heat. Um If there were a con to it, I would say size. You know, a heat pump requires an air handler inside and a Mm -hmm. condenser unit outside. So there's a two-piece deal where a gas pack is just that. Everything is in one unit. Um, Effectiveness, I would say that in periods of extremely cold weather or say you live up north, a gas pack may be suited better for that climate. But in a moderate climate like we have, I think a heat pump is just as effective. Pros and cons of gas, you know, gas-fired furnace, they've been around for so long that normally they will outlast a heat pump because there's fewer working parts. Mm-hmm. That also leads to less maintenance. Um, you know, the, the fact that they have fewer working parts, they're not as tough to work on. Uh, dependability, as long as you got gas in the tank, you know, I think that they are just as dependable as electric heat. So that's a fair assessment there uh safety i would say that's a con because yeah, if gas. there's a gas leak you know an explosion or a fire could break out and cleanliness you know the the gas combustion produces dirtier air if you want to call it that and in the event where it's not vented properly you know you could really harm your indoor air quality and that's uh, another reason i'm a proponent of the electric heat because i just don't want to take that chance if you have a question for donnie go to the website thecarolinacontractor.com submit them right there he answers them all and you can also listen to past shows get information on the subjects we talked about today donnie i thank you for coming in again thanks for having me and if you need your roof looked at be sure to contact donnie at suretoproofing.com they'll come out and take a peek at it and let you know what you need to be done whether it's replacement or just some repairs. But the best thing you can tell a customer, Donnie, about the roof is what? Your roof looks fine. Call me next year. And we'll see you next week on the Carolina Contractor Show. 
Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor, presented by Sure Top Roofing. Brought to you by GAF Roofing, Shingles and Materials. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply and Garner, a roofing supplier with a different approach. Submit your questions online at thecarolinacontractor.com and tune in next Saturday as we continue to help make your home great again. Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered.